Welcome back, Heming Brainiacs, to the Hemingway list. Wasn't wrapped with chapter one, you could say. I might have been in a bit of a grumpy mood, <laughs> you could say. But my prompts were these. All right, all right, we get it. You're so smart and cool. Freaking relax about it. Um, it did bother me that he's just, like, describing his perfect kind of, what was he calling it, boon companion, and how smart and clever they must be to keep up with him and how he just needs to be able to smoke cigars and talk intellectually all night long. And uh, it's just like, shut up. (laughs) You're the last person I would want to stay up all night smoking cigars with, I tell you that much. Um, Just the wall of text kind of approach to writing. Like he's he's got no awareness that there's someone on the other side of this wall of text who has to read it. You know, like if someone just came up to you in the street and just started talking at you, just tangent, rambling, 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 this topic, that topic, this aside, this aside, that aside, this tangent, this rant, then off on this direction and back to this direction and just without letting you get a word in and with no sense of the fact that you have to ingest everything that they're saying. You're like, oh, this person is having some kind of a mental episode. I should get them help, you know? And that's how this comes across to me. It's like, hey, dude, are you aware that I'm on the other end of this? Like, you're just rambling. Um, That's how it feels to me. After five days, I've gathered precisely this much. Yeats is in this book. And that's all I have. I have zero clue what this book is about, what they are doing, and why anyone, anywhere ever might have found this drivel interesting. Wow, you know, I was in a mood last night, clearly, when I did the podcast slash uh, reading. So I apologize for that. I know I've come on very strong there with my grumpiness. Um, But I'm keen to see what you guys thought of that. <laughs> um... TechRific says, And don't feel bad about our different reading experience. It is what it is. Maybe my tolerance for intellectual musings is higher than yours, i.e. I really should reflect on my priorities in life. Oh, well, thanks for saying that, terrific. Yeah, of course, everyone has different tastes and, I guess, tolerances for intellectual musings too. But, um, you know, I, I'm glad you're enjoying it, you know. And when I'm sitting there enjoying a book, the last thing I want is someone to come at me saying how much that book, they dislike it. So I do feel, I don't know, bad <laughs> for that. I don't want to I don't want to hinder your reading enjoyment in any way. I rarely read memoirs, Texas, so maybe I'm just unfamiliar with the genre itself. I'm surprised that it reads so well. But I guess if you're not interested in the time period and the people involved, this is not so riveting a read. Yeah, you know, I'm not it's not I'm not interested. If they served me up the information, what's happening, who they are um, in a way that doesn't assume that I already know, then I can follow along, then I might be interested, but I just, nothing's sinking in. Like I, you know, they don't, they don't present for my brain. The syntax of the sentence doesn't, isn't like, Hey, here's some information and there's the information. And this is why it's important. It's just like meaningless words strung together. That's how it goes through my brain. Excuse me, I'm very thirsty, drinking into the microphone. 
Swim says, Mum Fishy, he says, I'm interested in the time period and the deep dive into the Celtic Renaissance. However, George is really annoying me. So I am hate reading right now. I've read a lot of memoirs. It is striking how detached and clinical the writing style is thus far. I found a great article that gave an explanation that resonated with me. George Moore wrote books in a naturalistic style. Naturalistic writers maintain an objectivity in their storytelling. They detach themselves from the emotional components of the story and serve more as an impartial observers of what transpires. Here's the article. Really interesting. Very cool. Um... All right, so he's not presenting the things that happened with any emotive language, just laying them out. Uh, Okay, that kind of comes across. Refreshing to say the least, says Tech. We're so hyper-emotional these days. I'm an emotional person, but boy, am I tired of all this emotional manipulation going on in society. It's making us sick, divided, and angry. I think a revival of slightly more detached point of view is needed again. Interesting to see Stephen Crane on the list there. It seems so long ago that we read him. Really liked those two stories. Stephen Crane was the short stories we started with. I re- they were probably my favourites so far from the list. And I say so far, probably my favourites from the list. Um, maybe with War and Peace as the exception. Um, and the name dropping, says Swim, says the Mama Fishy. Oh my God, enough with the name dropping. George's monologue describing all his requirements for a boon companion was just infuriating. Although when I was talking about boon companion with my husband, he immediately asked facetiously if Boone's name was Daniel, which was hilarious for those of you who don't know. He's referencing Daniel Boone, American pioneer and frontiersman whose exploits made him one of the first folk heroes in the U.S., He became famous for his exploration and settlement of Kentucky, which was then beyond the western borders of the 13 colonies. Boone was the subject of a TV series that ran from 64 to 1970. Very cool. You do digress there. Um, Tech reckons that the name dropping comes with the territory in a memoir. It's hard to avoid. Both you and Anders seem to have a real different experience reading this. The Boone Companion part did come across a little cold and arrogant, but I don't think the intent was quite as chilly as perceived. Okay. Happy to be proven wrong, or, well, not even proven wrong. Happy to have different takes on it, you know. Um, We'll read on, you know, see how it goes. Hey, 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 okay, chapter two. Three weeks after Edward knocked at my door. Oh, sorry. Three weeks after Edward knocked at my door. Are you busy? I don't want to disturb you, but I thought I'd like to ask you. You've come to tell me that the company has been engaged. No, my dear friend, this is trifling. I cut in sharply, asking if the date had been fixed for the first rehearsal. It seemed necessary to shake him into some kind of activity, and it amused me to see him flurried. From his narrative... It appeared that Miss Vernon, a friend of Yeats, who they had engaged as general manager, had received letters from a number of actors, and he mentioned the name of one who thought he might like to play the part of Cardin Tyrrell. Il forcujemenil, I said one morning, jumping out of bed for it. If I don't, there'll be no performance. So I wired to Edward, and in the course of the afternoon he knocked. Has this woman called a rehearsal? She has written to a man, I have forgotten his name, he played in one of Ibsen's plays and hopes to and hopes to get away an answer from him next week. 
If the rehearsals don't begin at once, there will be no performance. Run away and engage the company. He went away red and flurried, and I didn't hear of him again until the end of the week, late one afternoon when he called, meeting me on my doorstep a moment later, and you would have missed me, I said. And the evening being too fine to turn indoors, he agreed that we should go for a walk in St. James's Park. As I write, I can see ourselves walking side by side, Edward's bluff and dogmatic shoulders contrasting with my own very agnostic sloping shoulders and the house's agnostic shoulders. And the houses rising up against the evening sky, delicate in line and colour. I can see a blue spire striking into the heart of the sunset and the casual winds moving among the branches and long silken grass. The pen pauses, or I am moved to wonder why I should remember that evening in St. James's Park when so many other evenings are forgotten. Maybe that I was conscious of Edward's emotion, all the while though outwardly calm as any parish priest, he was troubled inly and the fact that he expressed his trouble in the simplest language perhaps helped me to understand how deeply troubled he was. We have had three or four rehearsals, he confided to me, but my play is not coming out. An alarming piece of news, for I had sworn to him that the Heather Field was a good play, but Yeats's play is coming out beautifully. A still more alarming piece of news, for I did not want to see Yeats's supreme in these theatricals, and without betraying my concern, I told him that Yeats's play was poetry and only to be repeated, whereas the Heather Field would have to be carefully rehearsed and by an experienced stage manager. Now, who is your stage manager? What does he say, and is he competent? As Edward at that time had never seen a stage manager at work, he could form no opinion of the man's ability nor did he seem to have a clear idea whether the actors and actresses were competent and suited to their parts. I can tell from a rehearsal, he said. Yeats and I went together to the agent's office. I know, and you chose the company from the description in the agent's book, Miss X, tall, fair, good presence. I think she'll do for your leading lady, sir. How much? Four pounds a week. I can't afford so much. Three? I think I'll get her to accept three pounds ten. Very well. Now for your leading man, tall, dark, aristocratic, bearing. Five, I can't give so much. You might get him to take four. That's just what he was is getting, said Edward. There must have been an outburst. Rude words were uttered by me, no doubt. One is unjust, and then one remembers and is sorry. Edward had never cast a play before. He had never engaged a company, nor had he ever seen a rehearsal. Therefore, my expectations that he would succeed in so delicate an enterprise were ridiculous. If you would come to see a rehearsal, he ventured timidly, this very natural request can only have provoked him another outburst. One learns oneself. And in the course of my rage, not quite spontaneous, I must have reminded him that I had specially stipulated that I was not to be asked to cast or rehearse plays. If you would only just come to see one rehearsal, anything else but not that, I answered sullenly, and walked on in silence, giving no heed to our, to Edward's assurance that the mere fact of my going to see a rehearsal would not transgress our agreement. There were my proofs. It would be folly to lay them aside and striving against myself, for at the back of my mind I knew I would yield. I swore again that I would not go, but if I didn't, 
The thought of these two wandering over to Dublin with their ridiculous company was a worry. The heather field would be lost. Edward would be disappointed. This play was his single pleasure. Besides, it was annoying to hear that the Countess Kathleen was coming out better than the heather field. So it was perhaps jealousy of Yeats that caused the sudden declension of my will. And when the question, where are you rehearsing, slipped from me, and the question warned me that for three weeks at least I should at their beck and call for having made an alteration, once I had altered something I should not leave the heather field, nor perhaps the Countess Kathleen, if Yeats allowed me to rehearse it, until it was quite clear to me that the expedition to Dublin would not turn out so absurd in General Humbert's. Where are you rehearsing? At the Bijou Theatre in Notting Hill? It is impossible to rehearse anywhere except in the Strand. We'll rehearse where you like. And he continued to press me to say why I was so averse from seeing the plays. You're coming to Dublin, George? I never said I was. If the plays were going to be acted in London, it would be a different thing. But to ally myself to much folly as the bringing of literature to Ireland, Les Choches de Cornville is what they want over there, and next morning in the handsome I continued to poke Edward up with the sharpest phrases I could find, and to ask myself why I had yielded to his solicitations, for his sake and for the sake of his play, which he is an amateur, that is to say a man of many interests, one of which is literature. Edward is interested in his soul, deeply interested, he is interested in Palestrina, and in his property in Galloway, and the sartorial reformation of the clergy. He would like to see the clergy in cassocks. Then there are his political interests. He wants home rule, and when he is thinking of none of these things, he writes plays. But I am always ready to stretch out a hand to save a work of art, however little merit it may have. If it only have a little, Yeats is like me in this. Other men write for money, or for fame, or to kill time, but we are completely disinterested. We are moved by the love of the work itself, and therefore can make sacrifices for other men's work. Yeats is certainly like that, and for disinterestedness in art, I'm sure he would give me a good character. My reverie was interrupted by Edward crying, There's Yeats, and I also, and I saw the long black cloak, with the manuscript sticking out of the pocket and the rook-like gate, and a lady in a green cloak. My stick went up, the cab stopped, and as we entered the theatre, Edward told me that Yeats and the lady had been in and out of the bun shop ever since rehearsals began. I knew it, I knew it, I can see it all, talking continually of the speaking of verse. Two or three people on the stage repeating as much as they can remember of something they have been trying to learn by heart, and a man with a script in his hand watching and interrupting them with some phrases like, I think, old man, the line you've just spoken should get you across. Whoever is in the habit of conducting rehearsals can tell, at the first glance, if things are going well or badly, and above all, if the stage manager knows his business. A play is like music. It has to go to a beat. <clears throat> and it did not take me long to see that the Heatherfield was not going to a bad or a good beat. It was just going to no beat at all. And I said to Edward, which is your stage manager? The one reading from the script, but he isn't rehearsing the play. He's prompting, that's all. Edward begged me to be patient, but in a few minutes it was clear to me that patience meant wasting time. We shall have to make some alteration in the cast, Mr. Dash. 
I don't think the part of Carden Tyrrell altogether suits you. The second part, Barry Usher. The gentleman who was playing Barry Usher objected. You'll play, I said, perhaps one of the doctors in the second act. Now, Edward, who is your leading lady? Edward whispered, the fair-haired lady, but she looks as if she has come from the halls. So she has. She's been doing a turn. And you expect a musical hall artist to play Mrs. Tyrrell? Edward besought me to try her. Will you, Miss Dash, if you please, read your part from the first entrance? With some reluctance, the lady rose out of her seat and went upon the stage. She did not think the part suited her, and it was with evident relief that she agreed to give it up and accept two pounds for her trouble. Then in, I entered into discussion with the gentleman who had been told that he was not to play Barry Usher. Now, sir, if you'll read me the part of one of the doctors from the first entrance... A few words from him on the stage convinced me that, like the fair-haired lady, he would be of no use. But when he was told so, he caught up a chair, threw it at me, and swore and damned the whole company and all the plays. An irate little actor interposed, saying that Mr. Dash should try to remember that he was in the presence of ladies. Edward was appealed to, but he said the matter was entirely out of his hands, and in the course of the next half hour, three or four more members of the company received small dolls, from Edward, and went there several ways. Um, Alright, I'm going to stop there for tonight. Just a bit tired. So he's gone in to a theatre company, and he's firing everyone. Short reading tonight, but uh, just, yeah. Thanks anyway, see you tomorrow.